Nothing could be a bigger waste of NORAD's vast resources and time than every year tracking some fat guy out for a joyride every year like he's on some predetermined flight path that other planes need to steer clear of. But what if someone decided to throw into the mix the attempt to have their house seen from space? Find out as we attempt to illuminate the fact that Deck the Halls is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to the Christmas edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast where we look for A grades in B movies. And you are in for a treat. I say that almost sarcastically because we are attempting to tackle apparently one of the worst Christmas movies of all time, according to some. That's because we're talking about 2006's Deck the Halls. And as I said that, my wife gave me a look of, what the heck are you on? What corn cob are you smoking? And is it from the coal in your stocking? Uh, my lovely wife, Carrie, is here. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. I am in the Christmas spirit. I am ready to rock and roll. Um, even though I've already ripped on Santa and talked about smoking coal out of your stocking. And I've, I've already apparently thrown this uh, this movie to the wolves. Yeah. I'm on yeah. the I'm on the naughty list, you aren't I? You have made the naughty list. Now, for sure. Every time we come across a movie, and we're like, "Oh, this is a this was a fun, cute little movie," or "This was a great movie." And then you look at the tomatometer, and yeah, how 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 did you feel when you realized the deck to halls not only qualifies but qualifies in spades? Why? Why? <laughs> Just why? I mean, this movie has star power. It has. It is so bright. Spoilers. Oh, <laughs> uh, you. It may- is a shining star, so bright you can see from outer space. Oh, so shiny, so shiny. Um, <laughs> okay, you kind of already, you know, basically given the entire plot line in one line, but. Before we get, you're welcome. Before Done. we get into the breakdown of this 2006 festive fiesta of a film, it's time to take deck the halls and trailerize it. In the small, sleepy town of Cloverdale, a blindingly horrific nightmare will invade the community, causing destruction, madness, and will turn one neighborhood into a war zone. Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito illuminate the horror days in Deck the Halls. On one side of the street, a festive fanatic hell-bent on making Christmas the best ever. On the other side, an obsessive dreamer with a seemingly endless bank account and more Christmas lights than the North Pole. Together, they'll prove that the true spirit of Christmas is found in giving people a hard time over how they celebrate Christmas. It's always snowy in Cloverdale when these two go head-to-head in Deck the Halls. Rated PG for presents and gifts, of which this movie is neither. Wow. Do you have anything nice to say? Oh, I. you know I do. <laughs> you know I always Let's do. Let's get to that part. But this is like the movie therapy session where we break it down and then we have to build it back up again. You're like the horse with the gaff taped antlers <laughs> on it. Oh, Like crapping over everything. Oh, Kirkland brand uh, Rudolph. Or the camel that, you know, <laughs> spit all over Matthew Broderick. Where the hell do you get a camel... On such short notice in Massachusetts. That's a that's one of those existential questions that needs to be asked about this film. But let's get into who is actually in this. As mentioned, this film stars Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito, as well as Kristen Davis and Kristen Chenoweth. It also has appearances by Fred Armisen, George Garcia, Cal Penn, and Lachlan Monroe. This film is the film debut of Nicola Peltz, who uh, now goes by Nicola Peltz Beckham, and it is the first movie appearance of Kelly and Sabrina Aldrich, who, of course, plays the Hall Twins. This movie is directed by John Whitesell, uh, who clearly didn't learn the first time, and he has most recently directed Holiday 
which stars Emma Roberts, as if one Christmas movie wasn't bad enough, right? This movie, however, oh, this has got some stank all over it. And we went there. But let me explain why. At the Razzies, at the 2006 Razzies, this film was nominated for Worst Excuse for Family Entertainment. Yeah. That's harsh. It lost to the movie RV. But yeah, they made a special category for that year. Um, Danny DeVito was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. He lost to M. Night Shyamalan in Lady in the Water. And Kristen Chenoweth was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. Because in that year, she was in this, she was in RV, and she was also in The Pink Panther. But she lost to Carmen Electra, who was in uh, Scary Movie 4 and Date Movie. Also, in the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards for that year, this film was nominated five times. Let me, let me go through the list here. Didn't win any of them, just nominated. It was nominated for Most Painfully Unfunny Comedy, Lost to Date Movie. It was nominated for Worst On-Screen Couple with Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito. They lost to Sean and Marlon Wayans in Little Man. It was nominated for Foulest Family Film. Try to say that three times fast. Uh, It lost to Zoom. It was nominated for Worst Ensemble Cast. That lost to Blood Rain. And nominated for Worst Christmas Film. It lost to Unaccompanied Minors. I'm confused by something. Okay. When you said worst on-screen couple. Yes, as Broderick and Danny DeVito. Yes. Oh, you didn't mean the matchup of no, 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 no. DeVito I'm, and... And Kristen Chenoweth. No, no, yeah, no. I, no? I think they they basically mean like on-screen duo per se. Because I, I have to say that, that that one left me scratching my head. <laughs> like from, from the get-go, from the moment that they moved in, I was like, huh. Yeah, e- e- either <laughs> either he is scoring upwards or she is slumming it. One of the two. <laughs> One of the two. Um, with all of those nominations, though, it, it should come no surprise that you know the the critics were not a fan of this. But just how much so is probably going to surprise you. In 2020, the year that ruined everything, Rotten Tomatoes put out a list of the worst holiday movies of all time. This movie landed at number three on the list Ooh, what beat it number two was christmas with the cranks okay and number one was 2010's the nutcracker huh yeah you're saying they're going eh, maybe i don't know i don't know um why also, the hate i i'm oh we'll get there we'll get there uh that of course affected the budget this film had a budget of $51 million, according to Wikipedia. It worldwide grossed $47 million. Well, yeah, they had to pay the electric bill. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, because as I was doing my research, they were, they were saying that all the lights on that house were all LED lights. So it was like a third of the power usage if it was real lights. But the video screen... Uh, was actually those LED lights. They programmed the house with those LED lights, which allowed them to be able to do that. So That wasn't a projection screen on the no, roof? No, that was a program in the LED lights. Damn. Right? Like, okay, okay let, let's explain That's this. That's impressive, here. though. It is, right? Like, let's explain this for a second here. The whole arc of Danny DeVito's character is that he wants to cover his light, his house in so many Christmas lights that it's seen from space. Matthew Broderick, his neighbor, by the way, spoiling the f- out of this movie, so you, you're welcome. Um, Matthew Broderick can't stand all the lights that are, you know, basically... Um, it's like it's like forced solar gla- uh, forced solar gazing, which is actually considered um, torture in some countries. As any neighbor would rightfully complain. Oh, absolutely, Com- yes, complain. It's but like this- having the Dexter light come on right in your bedroom window at you know four a.m. That is the exact scene I, w- I had in my mind. At, you know, the first time those lights came on, it's like, oh, he's gonna Dexter the crap out of this. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, no, like they, they actually programmed the the house with the lights and all that. Like, I, 
Full kudos for that display. That's kind of awesome. Uh, but getting back to the box office here. Worldwide, it grossed only $47 million, according to IMDb. According to TheNumbers.com, when it debuted on the November 24th, 2006 weekend, it debuted at number four uh, with a box office take of just over $12 million. So kind of not bad for a Christmas movie that you know got panned by everybody. Uh, the highest grossing debut that week was Deja Vu, which debuted at number three. Happy Feet and Casino Royale took numbers one and two, respectively. Um... The Santa Claus 3, the Escape Clause, was at number 6. So you can tell that that time of year, right? Uh, also debuting that week, The Fountain debuted at number 10. And Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny debuted at number 11. So they beat Tenacious D. There's that. <laughs> they were in three times, you know, tw- I'd say not necessarily twice, but one and a half times more theaters than Tenacious D, but they still beat them handily but the reason why we're here is the rotten tomato score the critic score over on metacritic this film has a meta score of 28 and over on rotten tomatoes it has an audience score of 30 and a rotten tomatoes score a critic score a tomatometer of six single digit Six. That's one more than I can count on one hand. It's also one more than Christmas with the Cranks, which had a five. Ooh. And and the Nutcracker. Next on, it's not that bad. No. (laughs) (laughs) And 2010's The Nutcracker had a tomatometer of zero. Ooh, the big donut. Exactly. So, I mean, that that's a lot working against it, but now it's time to kind of build it back up. We've we've torn it apart now. We've torn it a new no we're good <laughs> we've torn it a new a new mistletoe here so let's uh let's build it back up and we need to start with matthew broderick what were your thoughts on matthew broderick as steve finch Ooh, can i take a pass on this one we'll come back no. to no you can't take a pass on the first person <laughs> no i'm not ready yet um <laughs> this is an mvp time here okay uh I'm going to let you go first <laughs> because I don't, I don't want to. Wow. You are deferring. <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Over to you. <laughs> okay. It should be noted that as I was doing my research over on IMDb, there were rumors and quotes that apparently Matthew Broderick was walking around the set going, I've hit rock bottom. I've hit rock bottom. <gasps> yeah um and it's funny because this is actually a, you know based on tomatometer alone this is matthew broderick's lowest scoring film on his entire filmography so he knew as he was making the film yeah it's 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 kind of sad when you when you see you know when you read these things about this movie and what was going on on set like apparently Again, this is all according to IMDb, all right? We are idiots in basement with microphone. That's us, okay? So we are not there. We don't know. We're just conveying what we read. But what we read didn't help this film. Apparently, like, Danny DeVito was, like, flying in and out and not really hanging out with anyone. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth was, uh, I guess, coming off of divorce. Matthew Broderick's apparently going through existential crisis. Um, Like, this is... There, there's a lot going on with the everyone while filming this. Then you have to like go to this small little Canadian town and they'll be like, okay, here we go. Now we're going to uh, uh, film a Christmas movie. Everybody be happy. Where was it filmed? Uh, it was just outside Vancouver, I think. At least parts of it were. Ah. Yeah. So, you know, yay for that. Yay, Canada. But I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, I don't think this is rock bottom. I really don't. This is where we get to actually start defending the movie. I know when we were watching this, you were like, I can't get over Matthew Broderick not being Ferris Bueller. Okay, so I so I don't even have to say it. You <laughs> <laughs> And look, I wow. I get that this film isn't Ferris Bueller's day off, right? I, it, it's not glory, right? The, it's not the pinnacle of Matthew Broderick's career. Uh, I mean, it's not even Godzilla. I mean, like Godzilla 
as as a lover of Godzilla films, right? And his is, you know, not exactly the greatest Godzilla film that ever Godzilla, but there's something about him that works in this setting, right? Huh. <laughs> hear, hear me out here. Okay. Hear me out here, right? We're talking a small little Massachusetts town, okay? He's he, he's an optometrist, right? He's he's doing his best even though even though he's in the wrong in this sense he's doing his best to try to create the best christmas ever right it's he's big man small town kind of thing around christmas time right there's something about matthew broderick that kind of worked with this like i'm not saying he was the best actor for it in fact i i i if i was doing a recast i would actually pull someone else from this cast and put them in that role I'd take Lachlan Monroe, put him in the main role, and let him be the lead. I think Lachlan Monroe would have killed that. But as far as Matthew Broderick goes, and maybe it's because he was paired with Kristen Davis, it kind of works. That neurotic sense of Christmas having to be so perfect, he kind of pulls that off. You're still just shaking your head. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't know. Like, I like Matthew Broderick. I like that he can not just pull off, but he owns the whole neurotic, like, um, like not even that Ferris Bueller was neurotic, because, I mean, that would have been his buddy there. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in the movie. But uh, you know what? There were times watching this where I was siding with DeVito. I was like, who really is the bigger jerk here? And he just kind of seemed so unlikable, but but not like he wasn't, it wasn't a bad performance and he wasn't, I don't know. Like it it was, there was, there, there were parts where it was just kind of like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if he's getting his just dessert or like, do do you know what I'm saying? There there are times when Steve is an unlikable character. I I fully agree with you on that one here. Yeah. But I think you have to take a look at Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito at the same time. And, and hear me out on this one here, because I've, I've, I've been thinking about this. I've, I've been, you know, mulling over, like, this comparison in my head here. Steve and Buddy are, like, Black Mirror versions of each other. Okay? Just follow my train of thought here on this one, okay? Steve is a well-to-do optometrist, Right. But he is overcompensating for something that's missing in his, you know, from his childhood. And in doing so, he's forcing these Christmas traditions onto everyone in his family. And, you know, they support him. But they also, I think, kind of, you know, when he's not in the room, like, oh, Captain Christmas is at it again. Holy crap. Pass me something strong to drink. Um, But over on the other side of the street. Right. You've got Buddy who is overcompensating for a lack of dream fulfillment in his life. Right. And, you know, this whole thing with the lights on the house and all that and having his his house seen from space. He's trying his damnedest to mean something. Steve is trying his damnedest to make Christmas mean something for his family, even though he's not getting it. Buddy is trying his best to make himself mean something in Christmas, even though he's not getting it, but his family supports him, right? Like you literally have like black mirror versions of the same person on either side of the street. So I think Matthew Broderick's Steve works in relation to Buddy. And while yes, there are times when both of them kind of seem a little unlikable, he just want to take kind of take both of their heads and go thunk, right and smash them together and you know till they figure it out i think it works well enough 
with Matthew Broderick in that role. Like, again, personally, I think Lachlan Monroe would have been a better fit for that role, but I don't hate Matthew Broderick in it. I don't hate him. I I, I do agree with you, and I think that, uh, I don't know, it, it was almost kind of like, I think if he had told the line of being just, you know, the the overly enthusiastic fan of Christmas. And with that said, I, I would have assumed that he would have welcomed the Christmas decorations, maybe in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It just seemed that too quickly he... I don't well, know, turned well, against I'm, Buddy. Like, I, I mean, Buddy shows up on his front step like the day after moving in and, you know, reading his paper and, you know, pointing out that apparently his, you know, his mistletoe is hanging out, you know, like it's... <laughs> not the best first impression, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. right? But they to, might not have gotten off to the right foot. Right. And, but, to, but to the same to, to, uh, token as well here, it, it feels like Matthew Broderick is a bit on the not anal side like it's he's really really particular with making sure that nothing messes up his plan for the perfect christmas like he is full-on gung-ho this is going to happen in the most epic way possible and everything has to be perfect and anything that shakes the foundation of that perfection ain't gonna happen right he he is neurotic about it and Buddy is the monkey wrench in the plans. I think that's why he can't get over. If Buddy showed up in Halloween, this would be a much different movie. And I think the two of them would be fine together. But no, he showed up like right around Christmas, right? Well, he would have been the house with, you know, like the full Halloween haunt set up. And, oh, and completely. The, yes. The sound effects and. Yeah. Unfortunately, at Halloween, we'd be like, we, we want to make sure that you hear the children's screams from space. That would be his Halloween. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what very, you know, very different direction there. <laughs> um, uh, but let's talk about Danny DeVito, though, as Buddy Hall. Also, for the record, I, it needs to be pointed out. This film was originally supposed to be titled All Lit Up. Oh. And then it's Deck the Halls. And one of the guys' last name's Hall. We need better writers. That's all I'm saying on that one here. Uh, but how is Danny DeVito for you? I liked him. I always liked DeVito, though. Um, so I might be a bit biased. I also like, don't get me wrong, I like Matthew Broderick. You just like him because you're taller than him. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I am curious of what he... What, his height comes up to you know it's funny you mentioned that because i looked know? that up do you i am i taller uh okay so it would be close all right i'm so, five foot nothing that, no you gotta say it right now <laughs> are you gonna bleep me i am totally gonna bleep you <laughs> five foot call exactly you're so, welcome so because i was curious right because there were spots, you know, where they would put Dane DeVito and Kristen Chenoweth side by side. And I'm like, it looks like he's standing on a milk crate or something like that. So they can feel like the same height. I was wrong. Danny DeVito was four foot 10 inches. Ah. Kristen Chenoweth is four foot 11. <gasps> is she? Yep. You have them both beat. Are you serious? You, you Exactly. You will dunk on both of them. Wow. <laughs> for the record, I am 6'2". Um, <laughs> I dunk on all y'all. But still, regardless of, regardless of, um, there was something about Danny DeVito in this that reminded me of when he was in Throw Mama from the Train, right? His character in Throw Mama from the Train was a little obsessive, a little awkward, and, you know, he, he wants so much to be bigger than he is and throw mom from the trains his writing right he wants to be a good writer he wants billy crystal's you know published author character to accept him as a writer even though the the the, the writing is horrible kind of thing there's just something so aspirationally innocent about his character and throw mama from the train and it's kind of the same thing here 
right? Buddy wants so much to mean something to someone somehow, somewhere, to have some kind of one thing in his life that's grandiose. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, I mean, he. I don't believe he has any ill intent. Oh, God, no. He literally just can't see how his overly decorated house um, might be troublesome to his neighbor. But but in that, though, right, it, it makes you wonder just how much Buddy, like in Buddy's backstory of his life, right, how much he was put down or held back from being great, right? Maybe how close he came. Like Buddy is a dreamer. He's an absolute dreamer. He wants so much to matter. I so admired his confidence, though, when he went and sold a car in his first five minutes, even though, you know, his his buddies, his co-workers were placing bets that he wouldn't sell. Yeah. Like, I love that. Like, he sold the car to the owner of the dealership, right? So, um, but there's the funny thing, right? It's that... He's really good at selling cars. They, they, they say that through the whole thing. He's a good car salesman, but he can't see his own talents through his own aspirations, right? He could be the best car salesman in Cloverdale and it wouldn't be enough. He needs to matter on a grander scale of things. And, you know, Steve is a monkey wrench in his plan, right? Like, you can see how the two personalities and what they're I guess overcompensating for kind of are are destined to butt against each other but you know that's them but I mean of the two of them which did you side with more again I found myself questioning you know like Who's really in the right? Who like oh, neither are in the right. They both played it so well. They really <laughs> did. I mean, if if it's funny because I know you say you side with Devito, but I kind of side with 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 Broderick on this one here. And let let me explain why. It's all in motivation, right? Why why is he doing what he's doing, right? Buddy is trying to have his house seen from space with all the Christmas lights because he's feeling unaccomplished he feels like he doesn't matter right it's a very selfish reason but for steve right he is trying to make christmas the best for his family because when he was young his family didn't really have much of a time for christmas so while it's a it is a selfish you know reason for doing it uh the end result for him, at least in his mind, is to do this for his family, mm-hmm. even though it's, it's based selfish. In, I think it's more like short-sighted. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. That, that's putting it very, very nicely here. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, let's move on, though to kelly finch uh it's played by Kristen davis which i had to look this up because of course you were surprised when you realized that matthew broderick in real life is married to sarah jessica parker who is Kristen davis's sex in the city co-star mm-hmm. so apparently and again this was an article i found online here she reached out to sarah jessica parker via email saying look i got this role it's playing the wife of your husband are you cool with this? Right. Aww. And she was like, Oh yeah, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. You're good. You're good. Right. So I can see her doing that. And yeah. I just love that. I, I love her for that. I, re- I remember seeing a quote to, from Kristen, they saying, it's a good thing. It's a family Christmas film. Cause then things don't get awkward. So, <laughs> you know, if, if this was Dick the halls, it'd be a very different story. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> and, uh, and luckily the, you know, bright light shining in the window, you know, quashed any sort of relations. So yeah, yeah, it, pretty it, quickly. So although, by the way, uh, Dick the Hall's now available on all your adult <laughs> channels. Um, but how was Kristen Davis as Kelly Finch for you? Oh, she was so great. Um, you know, I I liked the turn where she finally stood up to her husband and and actually finally you know took the kids and and left for a bit because he was being like unreasonable you mm-hmm. know he 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 was just so um there's a word obsessed kind of oh yeah he was he was definitely becoming obsessed by um like trying to shut devito's plans down buddies you know intentions of of being seen yeah it, it went um, from annoyance to blood feud vendetta yeah yeah and you know and the fact that finally she you know she said this is enough mm-hmm. and and walked away because you know at first her character was very much like you know very yes dear very loving and supportive and you know um, yeah, she, she was just so wonderful. She accepted his Christmas quirks as, you know, very much the, you know, well, the the benefit is he's trying to do something for the whole family, even though it's driven from a place of personal, um, not failure, but, pers- you know, but but something missing from his own childhood. So he's, he's trying to overcompensate for what he felt he was missing out. So, you know, yes, at first she is very much understanding of that. Right, but I also thought she was a little bit, um, again, not, I don't know, not being true to herself or her kids in that, you know what, maybe 
he's going a little bit overboard with, you know, the matching sweaters and the photo shoot every year or having mm-hmm. the, the line of trees for the next six years already planted. Like he clearly has an obsession over Christmas and he he is clearly a perfectionist. Um, and the fact that, you know, it almost kind of felt like maybe she could have been a little more... Assertive. Yes, that's the word I was searching for. You know, and the funny thing is, you you can see the turn happen in just one look, right? It's and it's for me, it was at the, you know, the the speed skating championship at the you know at the town square kind of thing, and and Steve just loses it and just starts belittling him like you know you you know you're still nothing you're still a loser you're you know how still can't be seen from space how does it feel and you, the look on her face is like i don't recognize you right now mm-hmm. like you are that what was have you the done? turning yeah. point for Ab- sure absolutely like she she has the best what the f- look in this entire film but, <laughs> and she seems to be using it a lot because all of a sudden like it's you know you know war of the bouquets kind of thing or war of the war of the christmas wreaths on her on her street like yeah he buddy drove out the worst in steve and and kelly could didn't recognize her own husband here but let's take a look at the other wife now uh tia hall as played by kristen chenoweth uh your thoughts on her oh she was adorable um you know and and once i got over the what what is she seeing buddy like like why how what (laughs) um you know what it it was just so nice like you could tell that she was just a loving wife and um that they had a really good relationship Mm -hmm. you know um she was very supportive um yeah it I can't remember. Maybe I I kind of started to fall asleep, but why did she wind up leaving? Oh, because he sold the vase. The vase. Yeah, exactly. That was the breaking point. Yeah, which yeah, that's a breaking point. Right? Yeah, like that's a deal breaker. <laughs> Thanks, Liz Lemon. <laughs> um, but the, this is the funny thing, right? Like, not really funny, but like. The halls have kind of moved from city to city because Buddy inevitably finds some way to mess things up in the city, whether it be lose their job kind of thing or just mess, like just feeling unfulfilled no matter what he does. Right. And always finds a way to mess it up. Um, I found her character, maybe maybe I don't know whether you'll agree with me on this one. I found her character got better as the film went on, because when we first meet her, right, uh, you know, she's wearing like the low cut shirt and basically throwing the, you know, the, the, you know, uh, her Kristen Davis's son into like instant puberty kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, good. They're playing her as like the, the sex symbol, sex pot kind of thing that happens to be married to Danny DeVito somehow. I don't know. But as the movie went on, you really see that Tia is like just a really sweet, nice person that, 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 like just a really supportive wife and happy and bubbly and light and caring. And like, really T is a great, it it was not a good introduction, Mm. but her character got better as the movie went on. I think they did that by design and I could very much um, see that it was because of that, because they portrayed her um, in that light that like, how is this very beautiful woman? Uh, like, what does she see in Buddy? What, like, why are they together, right? And I think the introduction of her in that way, mm-hmm. um, it, I, it was relative. Like, it was, it was almost kind of needed because, um, you're right that as the movie goes on, you know, she's wearing like the f- like full (laughs) clothing or you know i mean very stylish like i absolutely loved every outfit that um her and the twins uh the twin girls wore like yeah with the exception of those white i don't know um yeti boots i i don't get those no Uh, no just no i love my uggs but that's just (laughs) going away a bit too far yeah it's 
they they introduced her to make you question i'm i'm curious and and i don't remember if they mentioned in the movie or not but i'm curious as to what city they moved to cloverdale from because it felt like again like as the movie went on it's almost like she indoctrinated herself into cloverdale style right like basically she loves the town she wants you know she loves the neighborhood she loves her new friendship with kelly like it's almost like she wants to to stay and be a part of that so she almost like embodies that through her clothing through her personality like she becomes like a, a like almost like the picture perfect little suburban wife um as the movie goes on right so it's almost like she adapts to every new situation and, but she's tired of having to adapt now that she's found one that feels almost comfortable to her. But damn, can she sing? Right? That, like, that scene where, you know, they had the carolers and, and she just kind of Busts out a holy started, night out of yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know if that was her actually singing, but I, um, if I remember correctly, she does have a very good singing voice, so I would not be surprised if it was actually her. Um, now let's talk about the kids here. Alia Shawcat, who played Madison Finch, uh, the, the the daughter to Matthew Broderick and Kristen Davis. Uh, thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, you could tell that she was a suburban teenager, you know. Um, not at all awkward, but not, not at all caring about what she's wearing until the twins show up. And then, you know, they become friends and... That scene, <laughs> who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Oh, I'm yeah, your daddy. I'm your dad. <laughs> okay, and, and then follow it up in the uh, the church with the holy water, yeah, washing their eyes the out. Eyes, yeah, that was the, it. Was funny. Come on. Oh, it, it was. That was that was an, a hilarious setup. That was a good scene. I I think, and and I, I have to say the same thing. I'm going to say the same thing about Alia Shawkat as I have to say about. Um, Kelly and Sabrina Aldridge, who of course played the Hall twins, is that they could have been so much more. But I think the writing kind of ended at the Matthew Broderick, Danny DeVito conflict part of the storyline. Madison is not an edgy teen. She's in that stage where she wants to start to grow up and and in Matthew Broderick's eyes that she hasn't or he can't see it. Right, um, and the funny thing with the with the Hall twins is that I it's like their characters changed mid movie too, right? And again, this is nothing on the actors, okay? Because I think Ali Shawkat and then Kelly and Sabrina Aldridge did a very good job with the script that they were handed. But I mean, at one point, the Hall girls are are on the computer and. You know, I don't know if they're hacking into it or whatever the case, but they're finding this way to to see, you know, through satellite imagery if you know what can be seen from space, kind of thing, which of course becomes the impetus for uh, what Buddy is trying to do. And then when they're all sitting in the motel because their husbands have gone crazy, uh, the Hall girls, you know, like Kristen Chenoweth looks at the, the the girls and go, "You're reading a book." Like all of a sudden they went from like, "Yeah, we can bust into this website," to "Yes." Here's a book and I'm not bored. Like it, it's, it's almost like they were kind of half written and I don't know if it went through different, there were three writers listed, two of them, uh, you know, from their credits, it looks like they write a lot together and it's almost like a script doctor was you know brought in to touch up the script. So I wonder how much of the kids characters changed in, uh, in revisions. Hmm. I mean, I, I I thought it was fine. There wasn't there wasn't really much of them. So yeah, you know, as far as like they they, they could have been to, more to yeah. build a character. Like you didn't really get to know them. You only kind of just saw them for what you know for for what they were very stylish, um, fashion first oriented teens. Yeah, like. The Hall girls are tall, leggy blondes, right? But I love that they were so sweet. Yeah. With, um, you know, uh, the, the Finch's daughter. That With Madison, yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from Tia and the way Tia is. So, like, I think the, Hall, the, the twins and Tia make sense as a family unit. 
still not quite sure what they see Danny DeVito, but you know, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. And then of course there's Dylan Blue who played Carter Finch. Um, I, again, this is a character that, that felt like the story changed because you know, the beginning of the film, he's having some weird festive existential crisis that everything is, is horrible. And the next thing you know, he's like, hey, dad, tell you what, I'm going to climb up the phone pole and keep stay on lookout while you kind of burn the house down across the street. Like, I I just wonder what changed in the script. And, you know, I, I wonder if it, it was if that was first draft. I don't know. Hmm. I, I, again, I, I really don't think there was enough of like it would have been nice to see a scene maybe even not necessarily at high school but them walking home or something like yeah just something like right like at what point did the did the hall twins of madison come up with a sexy santa dance routine kind of thing like uh at what point does you know uh carter decide he's going to like christmas instead of sit there and you know, mumble and grumble in the living room, being forced to wear an ugly Christmas sweater. Like it, there's those stories aren't told. It's well, there all- wasn't time enough for it, or at least enough attention, because yeah. it was all about the building feud between, you know, the two gentlemen. Yeah. Like Now we also have to talk about the town of Cloverdale, more specifically the people. Right, you have some namer people in that town playing like Fred Armisen as the foreign uh you know speed skater that that can't skate uh you got Lachlan Monroe in there you got George Garcia um those are some decent actors for very small bit roles but how did the town as a character play for you um I I thought it was perfect I mean I really liked the guy who was trying to direct um, Matthew Broderick out of the out of the, <laughs> out of the laneway? Yeah, and wound up taking <laughs> his doors off. Yeah, if someone's not paying attention hitch. to your car and drinking a beer at the same time, don't take the directions from him. Just, yeah. just, just don't do that. Um, don't ask him to move the uh, move the truck either. But. So as as we were watching this film. You know, and talking about like the critic score being low and all that, you were like, "Well, what are the critics even saying?" Right. So I looked up just a, just some of the critic comments from Rotten Tomatoes here. Uh, so I'm just going to read a couple here, and then, and I I skipped past the ones where it's just like, "Oh, you pulled out a Christmas thesaurus and found all the mean things to say with no real supposition in them," kind of thing. So, but there were a few here. J.R. Jones from the Chicago Reader wrote. Uh, enforced holiday cheer gives way to bilious hatred than hollow forgiveness. Um, Nathan Rabin from the AV Club uh, wants to be both naughty and nice, but just ends up feeling deeply confused. And Brian Lowry from Variety Magazine. In essence, a title and release date in search of a movie. Deck the Halls is a lifeless workmanlike comedy conceived to provide holiday shoppers an inoffensive respite from the mall. Yeah, hmm. Craig's did not like this one. But, I mean, when it comes to Christmas movies, right, I don't think this misses the mark as to what a Christmas movie is supposed to be. No, you know what? I mean, just to recap, it had all the elements of, like, I mean, I, I could I could list, I don't know, how many other Christmas movies, right? Just taking Home Alone as an example, mm-hmm. right? You have the, um, you know the the regular everyday family drama, right? Yeah. You you've got you've got the dramaly. Well, okay, right? hold on. How how does leaving your son behind two years in a row? No, no, I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking about before. Okay. They left. You know, you've got people running around the McAllister's household. Um, in this particular case, you've got the kids that are just like, I, I can't do another ugly Christmas sweater movie, like a, a photo shoot. I just like, I'm not digging this Christmas thing, Dad. Let's just, you know, leave it, right? Yeah. Like, like. So you've got the the dramaly, you've got the family drama, you've got that going on. 
and then introduce the family across the street where, you know, they started out okay, introduced themselves. Maybe it was a little awkward off the cuff, but, you know, okay, so introduce family, you know, across the road. And then, you know, the conflict, okay? So they put up lights, great, whatever. Um, But then as it builds and as uh, they keep trying to one-up each other, um, then you've got the, the scene with the sleigh, like basically like flying through the town, <laughs> Matthew Broderick ends in, lands in the, the, the freezing cold water. Like it just keeps getting worse and worse. The town Christmas tree disappears, but magically shows up. Um, the, you know, the, the, the gift of the car that, oh no, there's car payments because <laughs> your neighbor is a car salesman. Like, yeah, you know, like it just had kind of, it, it was almost cookie cutter. Yeah. You know, it, it had like the, I guess what I'm trying to say, it had... Um, it had the madcap antics of like your Home Alone type movies. Yes, absolutely. Yep, and the laugh, mm-hmm. like almost like the, the quintessential, you know, cue the laugh track. Okay, so we're going to put this, you know, incredibly overly um, out there... Uh, scene with Matthew Broderick on a sleigh, right? That's for laughs. Yeah. Um, but then, oh, okay, also add, you know, the the touching moments where they might become friends again. Um, but then there's the skating incident where, you know, at the end it just ends incredibly badly. Yeah. Um, like Feelings get hurt. Like, yeah, it was so cookie cutter. You know, it was almost kind of like, the script, I think, was a bit predictable, and maybe that's kind of... Oh, you, you're not the first person to say that the script is predictable. I mean, yeah, the, there are almost Christmas templates where you just copy, paste, and you know, pump something out, right? I mean, Hallmark's made a business out of that, right? Like, the Hallmark Christmas movie template, of which there are about 15 million new ones every year... These days, most of them starring Lacey Chabert. Um, but this one had the cast. It did and have I a good cast. I thought that's what would have made this one different or standing above the others. Yeah. Um, but I mean, good cast or not, you can't get past a script that doesn't that doesn't either flush out the character or just deals in, you know, cut and paste from, from other different things. But and I mean... I, I think that was my issue with Matthew Broderick is, was it... Was it actually him or was it the script that made his character so unlikable? I don't think it was how, I don't think it was his acting. No, I don't it's, think- it's, not, it's not him. It's definitely the script because, I mean, here's the thing. Matthew Broderick is, is you know, almost, you can't not like him, right? And he has a natural sense of just innocent comedic timing and, you're not allowing that to actually, um, you're not taking advantage of that, right? The script doesn't take advantage of that. You have Danny DeVito, who I think actually probably worked best for the script, only in that we've seen this character before. It's from Throw Mama from the Train, right? Um, Kristen Chenoweth, Kristen Davis, uh, they're very good at what they do kind of thing. Um, the kids, they're there. Right, the, mm-hmm. the, they weren't really flushed out in the script. But I mean, here's the thing: most Christmas movies have a moral, right? In the case of homes, you know, the the Home Sweet Home movies, it's you know appreciate your family because you know if they're if they're ever not there, you'll really miss them, kind of thing. Um, with Violent Night, it's don't f- with Nordic murder god of a Santa Claus. Um, but for here, it's really about the. Christmas doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to be perfect and have everything. Just enjoy what you have. Enjoy the moment before the moment is gone. There's a Christmas moral to the film. It's got some, you know, fun little laughs, even though it is a little bit predictable. But it's not a 6%. I tend to wonder how much of it is um, like keeping up with the cranks or mm. or keeping up with the Joneses or whatever. Like... Like, it started out that, like, 
the, the, the family, you know, the, the dad wanted the kids to have everything that he never had growing up. He wanted them to have the perfect Christmas and he almost kind of pushed them away with his intention of making it a perfect Christmas. Yet then you've got, you know, the neighbor across the road who is going completely overboard, you know, included is Santa's sleigh with, (laughs) you know, the makeshift reindeer. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got almost kind of like, what Matthew Broderick maybe wanted for his family, but you know, his, his neighbor is kind of one upping him. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe there was that. I don't know. They didn't flush it out if that was the case. No, there, there, there's a lot of holes missing in the script. It's a lot of, I mean, it definitely feels like a made for TV Christmas movie. Um, and not necessarily something that probably should have been released in theaters. But I mean, at the, at the end of the day, a Christmas movie is supposed to do one thing, and that's put you in the Christmas spirit. So if I'm putting you on the spot, in watching this film, does it put you in the Christmas spirit? You know what? I'm not going to lie. This is not the first Christmas that I have watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely on my watch list, and I'll probably watch it again next year. Um, it, it does... I mean, I'm not going to say it's like a quintessential holiday movie that would be Scrooged mm-hmm. or The Ref. Um, yeah. or, or, <laughs> or Die Hard. Now, Violent Night. <laughs> <laughs> Nordic murder god of a Santa Claus, yes. Um, however, it does hold a certain charm. And I, in the end, you know, just that feeling of community, of, of winning, Right of actually, the fact that eventually, in spoilers, yes, they are seen from space. Yes, he finally wins, but he wins in the end, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and point out like the, the you know the the reality issues. Like, wow, for a guy who doesn't you know can't hold on to a job, he spent a lot of money on Christmas lights. Uh, where did he get the money before you know before he well, sold? He was the vase. tapping into. Uh, the, the house across the street. No, no, I'm talking about power. I'm talking about money and how much he, you know, he bought those lights, <laughs> right? We're, we're talking buying them from the hardware store at Christmas time. Those are double the cost, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Um, before we get to our MVPs, though, this is, this is me giving you fair warning here. Twitter has spoken, and our good friends over at Movie Date Night have chimed in on this one. The one thing Deck the Halls truly is missing that never happens is Matthew Broderick punching Danny DeVito in the face, hence decking Mr. Hall. This film is a hot mess from start to finish, but the lack of that one titular detail really ruins it for me. And when you Aw, cons- that wouldn't be Christmas. <laughs> I, I, That's not... You don't knock out your neighbor at Christmas. That's like... Wouldn't you, though? That's an Easter thing. <laughs> <laughs> you easter buddy where's my chocolate you got you got some easter issues going on there i love the easter bunny who does the easter bunny work for i will lop off an ear if you don't tell me where you've hidden the stash well i couldn't say thanksgiving (laughs) yeah that's slapsgiving at that point uh now i'm flashing back to uh the grindhouse trailers White meat, dark meat, all will be carved. Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but again, Greg Loring, guys, thank you for uh, for that <laughs> comment there. Uh, you cannot hide any longer. It is time now. Who is your MVP of Deck the Halls? Oh, dear. Are you sure there's no more Twitter comments? Nope. You had the one. You might want to check the feed again. Go, no, no. You, you don't get to hide in the corner, kick the Easter Bunny seven more times, and then come back with an MVP. Who is your MVP of Deck the Halls? Uh, I'm going to go with Danny DeVito. Hmm. I really liked... I, I, I like him, period. But, um, again, like... His, his motives, his, his intention, um, just again, like I, I really felt for him and there were times where 
I found myself really rooting for him, even though was he right? No. Was he stealing power? Yep. Was he, you know, doing bad shady things to his neighbor to out of, you know, out of anger? Was he in the right? No, no, he wasn't. But he also had a very good heart and I was so happy to see him win in the end. Uh, Go, buddy. You picked him because you're taller. Ugh. <laughs> well, I mean, if if I have to pick someone, I should probably pick someone that you're taller than as well. Because I went with Kristen Chenoweth. There was something about Tia. And, and again, I wasn't necessarily... Like, if you were to ask me at the beginning of the film who my, who my MVP was, it wasn't going to be her. But as the movie went on, you just realize how much she supports Buddy, how much, you know, she um, is the kind of neighbor that, that, that Kelly is really happy to have kind of thing. You know, like, they could have troped the crap out of Tia. You know, like your typical trophy wife kind of thing. But they didn't. Do you know what I loved about her is that she was so kind mm-hmm. to Kristen Davis. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Like, and and the family, like she, the fact that they kind of ran away together. Yeah. And, you know, left their husbands to battle it out and burn each other's houses down and stuff. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, let, let's take a look at this realistically. Here's a character who has basically supported her, her husband through Failure after failure after failure after failure with a smile on her face, a song in her heart, and no matter what, you know, ride or die, right? And Kristen made Tia a better character, right? Like, it's so much better than probably what was on paper. So, my MVP, Kristen. So, basically, we like the Halls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. The two people that were nominated for Worst Supporting Actor and Actress from, from the Rises that year Razzies can go suck it. Take that, critics. (laughs) Okay, we are nearing the end of the year, but I tell you, I tell you, we got one more special lined up for 2022 for you, so be sure to tune in next week. We got a doozy for you, and oh, I apologize to everyone who's watching the movies for that one there. Uh, But that being said, uh, Gary, thank you for this for watching deck the halls again this is not the third worst film of all christmas time this is definitely much better than that can i just put a a disclaimer out there or a request to the public if you will decorate your house with thousands upon thousands of led lights do check in with your neighbors first yeah yeah. Give them a heads up. Yeah, exactly. In fact, you know what? A really nice gift would be those um, eye masks that <laughs> Kristen Davis was uh, doubling up yep. on. I, I think that would be a really nice neighborly gift to uh, to provide your neighbors and, with. And, and give oh, them and traffic control. Sound canceling headphones. Yeah, exactly. I, oh, and I, I forgot to mention that. I loved that he not only had the lights and the decorations and the live animals, let's be honest, the stable was a really nice addition, but he also did like like yeah. a dance party. Dual iPod DJ system. Yeah. DJ system, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we don't live next door to them. That sleigh was so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was until Matthew Broderick got in it. And how, did they, how did they fish that out of the lake? I'm not quite sure. Probably with the untold millions that Buddy apparently has. I'm, I'm just guessing here. <laughs> but Carrie, thank you for going down this road. And to you, our listeners, thank you. Not just for listening to this episode, but listening to everything that you have this past year. Uh, but you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there isn't a damn nice thing we can find to say about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast or make sure you follow and like us over on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NotThatBadCast. Let us know the movie. We will watch it. We will dissect it. We will grit our teeth but do it happily because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, Carrie, you're lovely. Listeners, have a Merry, Merry Christmas. This is It's Not That Bad.
Take care, everyone. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.